Hey, hey, hey. Hey. hey I, I think last week we... So every time we record, we change the time on the day. So sometimes it's 10 a.m. and sometimes 5. And well, it used to like, be. We had a perfect routine. It was every oh yeah every Sunday morning at like 10 a.m. Yeah. And so last week we were texting and it was 5 p.m. And then I took a hardcore nap. And it was one of those naps that took too long. And uh, so I missed the episode. I haven't had a nap in about 15 years. I mean, no, you can't afford that, huh? <laughs> You know who who ruined our routines in the first place is soda. It was when soda arrived. I know and things really went south. Different. Soda, yeah. oh boy, yeah, <laughs> little demon. But lots changed uh, in the last few weeks since we've t- chatted. We chatted on the phone. Yeah. Um, some big big news in my life is I'm moving to Calgary. Yeah, probably nobody even knows when you say Calgary or Toronto. Nobody really understands what oh, the difference. That's is. so anti-Canadian. Yeah, but like yeah, uh, but let's be real. It's like well, it was yeah. it was just voted the uh, third best or most livable city in the world or something like that. Um, but it's like a city in the west of Canada, just before or right at the edge of the Rocky Mountains, uh, and the last province we have provinces not states before british columbia which i think everyone knows because most people know vancouver right you yeah. you know where that is yeah but even it i'd be curious to do i'd be curious to do a survey because when people say vancouver and montreal i have to really think hard like san francisco i know immediately that's on the west coast mm-hmm. but then what is it vancouver or montreal that's on the west coast and i have to Maybe I'm dumb, but I feel like I'm not the only Montreal's one. Montreal's literally the closest Canadian city to New York City, like big city. Because we're, and we're, you and I, I are going to go ahead. You're like, from Canada. I understand yeah. that you know. That's not the point. <laughs> it's. A, it, do, could you point the city of Hamburg on the map? Yeah, of course. I've, okay, I've well, I can't. You, yeah. you can as well, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, it's in the I know where West. Berlin is, and then maybe Dusseldorf, Munich, but Hamburg. Uh, it's a port city in Germany, like. Uh, yeah. I think it's Europe's third largest port, actually. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. Like, um, Could you point out the, uh, the difference between Sao Paulo and Rio on the map? Of now Brazil? that I can't. Yeah, no. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it just depends what your life is and where you are. Like, you went to Germany a bunch of times. I, 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 I think Sao Paulo, though, is northeast and Rio is central, right? Yeah, I think so. But <laughs> <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> You've been to both, I think. I thought you Yeah, had. yeah. No, no. Uh, yeah, of course. But the the um, But uh, let I, me tell I, you this. Like Banff, most people know where Banff is, I think, cuz it's like a tourist I'm just saying Canada is not that famous. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I know it's small. Anyway, this is a smaller city than Toronto. It's, it's like the, four it's times the smallest smaller. largest country in the world. And this will be the smallest city I've ever No, I've lived in a smaller city. I lived in Syracuse, but New York. But all that's going to change because this summer we're going on vacation in Canada together. I'm dragging It'll you to Canada. First, yeah. It's my first time in Canada. That's yeah. great. And uh, you know, you have a lot of friends in Canada, so you're like bias against Canada is like kind of hard to explain. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all in the spirit of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't matter. It's fine. I also want to... So it was NFT week in New York. Oh, yeah. There was I a bunch know, of events. And is that like... Did they, did they, who named it NFT week? Like, how did they even make that decision? Was it a DAO th- that decided it? I think it was it? the Academy Awards <laughs> that decided that yeah. <laughs> like, together with the the met and and harvard they all decided they all decided so what was because i did see like a, um 
we had collision conference the same week and so like well some you NFT know in belgium for example there. there's there's the cms awards the content management system awards every year i think it's the global <laughs> really? cms awards like someone just decides that and it's i mean like, well you made the best actually CMS. like if i was going to put cms versus nft like arguably cms has had a bigger impact on the world <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah but the same with the Webby Awards and other things. Like someone just says, like, "Well, we're the awards." Mm. Yeah. But um. anyway, I, I ran into Linda Lowe, a loyal listener who submitted questions and and as a supporter of the podcast. And then I was on my way out of an event, and she was in, and I was in between conversations, so I didn't. I was kind of. It's this weird thing when you meet someone from the podcast and you know their voice, and you're like, "Oh, oh, oh, oh mm. sorry, yeah. I, I didn't know what to say." So sorry. Well, um, I mean, that doesn't mean that you won't. So, is Linda in New York, or was that, or just were people in town, kind of thing? I think, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's an excuse for everybody to visit, and that's what makes it fun. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna have even. It's, I'm gonna be further from New York. I guess I'll visit. I'll probably still visit just as much. We're gonna keep our place here in Toronto. The exciting thing for me is relevant to this podcast. I think is we we found a place that where I'll have my own like studio in the in the. You're gonna have house. a desk. I'm going to have not just a desk, like I have my own bathroom, like a my own patio, <laughs> like space. So the, you have to explain to our listeners that this is because Kristen got a teaching job there. Yeah. So like Kristen got a teaching job. So we ha- yeah, exactly. It wasn't just like, let me move to Calgary. Uh, though, frankly, I'm, you know, I think it's kind of an interesting city. Um, and then when looking around, like rental is, you know, kind of the same prices here. And there's like a really fierce competition for renting. Um, but then the school will cover some of our moving expenses if you buy something. So we actually did, we did the thing that you're not supposed to do, especially right now, because the housing market's crashing. Like markets are crashing, housing market's crashing. So we bought a house. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was like a third the price of buying a house in Toronto. So it seemed like a bargain. It seemed like I was like, I was like shopping for used furniture, <laughs> thrift clothes or something. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it was like, like way, way, way cheaper than I'd seen. Well, uh, I remember this uh, comedian Todd Barry talked about when he goes on tour, he has this game of like for his New York apartment rent. Yeah. How could he live in whatever small town that he's playing somewhere in the U.S.? Exactly. And like, what does a three thousand a month mortgage get you in Alabama? And yeah. yeah, yeah, I think like yeah, if a New Yorker's spending between three and six thousand, like most of in most of the the country you could own like a four bedroom home or something yeah. like that but you're not but then you have to vacuum all those rooms huh? that's true yeah well, that's already come up as an issue yeah. well so, someone <laughs> I, I like this remark that someone said new york is fun because of the small apartments not in spite of yeah yeah but then i was talking to my friend chris coleman who i think as one time i think he mentioned he once listened to this podcast i don't know if he does anymore great curator collector artist um he bought a place a few years ago and I was doing a studio visit with him and he was in his studio. It was like, it was like bigger than his academic studio. And he's like, where was this? He lives in Denver. Oh yeah. And then the, uh, he, uh, he, I think Denver's becoming really expensive. Well, we got to talking about garages and he had a three car garage and he's like, but we only have one car. So the other two spots, he has like a CNC machine and a 3d printer. And I'm like, come on, like, this is the dream. Like, and he's like, I know it's incredible. I can make anything from my house. And it like, I've just never thought that was going to be possible in Toronto because we live in a like a 600 square foot apartment. 
And um, I don't know why I'm giggling at the idea of space, but I, the last time I had it was in grad school, like uh, over 15 I, years yeah. ago. Yeah. If, if anything, if living in a more remote location, it seems nice to be able to eat outside. Like, uh, oh, yeah. I know you have a deck in Toronto, but to, in a, growing up at our backyard and eating there in the summer, that was always nice. You still return to that backyard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I'm drinking but a I, cool I, glass of lemonade myself right now. Yeah. Mm. Summers. But, but yeah. Summers here. So just maybe your audience, does anyone care about NFT? Is, <clears throat> is it a boring topic? Well, Do you I think care? people are probably really fascinated by like, are there are artists still surviving off of NFTs? Like, well, I'm thriving. That's, you're thriving, but yeah. I read something about like blue chip artists are doing really well, and everything else just like no one is moving. Where anything. did you read that, and what are the data points? Mm, I read it in the Verge. <laughs> yeah. Verge no, but like a a good friend of ours, you know Nicholas Sassoon, right? Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, like I think he's doing quite. When I say thriving, I mean I am doing okay. I'm not building. A, you know, I'm past the point of survival and I can make what I want every day. So someone like Nicholas Sassoon, who's doing well, would you call that a blue chip artist? I think it's like a new class of blue chip. It's like the no, I NFT know, but, blue chip. But it means that he has a shot to be a full-time artist where yeah. in the classic gallery system, he didn't. they were ignoring him. You know what I really admire and, about him and you? Like you embraced it with such fervor. Like Nicholas, actually, even before you... He was like on three or four platforms, like releasing stuff every yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. Building an no audience. Fear. Yeah, no fear. Yeah. Just go and like some stuff sells, some doesn't. Yeah. It's okay. He really seized on it. Yeah. But but what I mean is, uh, it, the good thing about NFT week anyways, was that it was a whole lot of interesting conversations and nobody talked about money. Just mm, I had zero conversations good. about money. It was just... Because no one has what, any or just because it doesn't matter anymore? No, it, it's just we didn't talk about it. It didn't seem interesting. Like so a, everybody's, it, it's more like, what are dynamic NFTs? What are ways to make them physical? What are ways uh, to... Oh, interesting. So that's kind of like the way the... That's what it was like two years ago before kind of the craze around... Like when it was just yeah. like, you know, it was a reasonable amount of money, like, but it was equal to like well, the, the US dollar. Yeah. And it seemed at the crazy moment, it seemed like irrational and maybe it was and now it seems more like i'm offering a work and because of the price of ethereum right now like you can buy a work of mine for two three hundred dollars mm -hmm. it's a unique work but it's part of a series and that seems like with common sense that seems like yeah that's a fair price for a digital work on the blockchain and yeah uh, more people can participate instead instead of the gallery route but yeah. things have to be expensive yeah i'm preparing like an addition at that like, kind of lower price point in a larger size. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that it will be like, it'll push me to like do it more often if it's successful. Now, if it isn't, well, I'll try you, you again. Well, you know from the internet that, that yeah. uh, being prolific or posting often is the way to go. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know that from all your marketing, like frequency is more important than quality. I mean, that's the whole point. That's the routine of this podcast. When we stop recording, our numbers fall off a cliff. But like if we're routine, like the yeah. best we ever had it was when we recorded every week, which was an insane amount of recording. Rain or shine, though. Yeah, I remember we were dedicated. We were both traveling and still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, the heady yeah. days of podcast when podcasting. Well, was like, back then we had a, a different topic every week, and it was like, oh, we never talked about Facebook. Let's do an episode about Facebook. And then that's true. at some point we did all the topics. It's like we've talked about everything. However, 
Well, that's why I was a little nervous bringing up NFT because we did so many episodes about them. But it, I just wanted to give people a little bit of news from from the source, from NFT Week here. <laughs> and I just want to say every it, it felt very positive. I didn't hear anyone worried about the future or that kind of stuff it was everybody was just excited to see each other that's and great like, yeah all i'm getting like projected at me like in let, the- let, let, let me summarize it it felt more byob vibe than a freeze art fair vibe that's awesome like yeah meanwhile in the business world in the corporate <laughs> world of evil assholes i wouldn't say evil assholes but basically it's like the you know it's the buildings are on fire and you know people are running toward the exits um i i always think like when people say buildings are on fire it means like oh you're gonna have one private jet instead of two poor you no it's like you know number like things are being cut in half slashed down like 75 percent yeah there's a lot of layoffs um yeah and more so in fintech uh which is what i've chosen to specialize in over the last 15 years. Um, and it's interesting because it basically though, like the markets were like, Hey, this like growth at all costs thing when, when money was cheap and free, cause interest rates were like almost zero, meaning like basically money was free in so much as like, you know, you could, you could go and get money and use it to grow and then pay back that money for nothing. Yeah. And basically. if the interest is close to zero and inflation is 3%, you actually, Making money just by holding it, uh, yeah, yeah, it and spending yeah, it. having yeah. debt is fantastic, and so uh, because interest rates are going up, and by the way, they're not that high, like um, compared to the seventies. Well, like they're the same rate they were when I'm, you know, like a few years. Well, that's ago. what I mean when people say like, "Oh, the building is on fire." And the, yeah, yeah, but it, so you know, we might find our way out of this, but right now, you know, business always projects the worst. Like business, like you, you, you always complain about people being kind of panicked and hysterical. Like every two years in business, I feel like I go through a super like a cycle. Maybe it's every three, and it's always like, "Oh, it's all over." Like, let's shut it down. Like, you know, yeah. like basically, you know, on the outside in art circles, everyone's like, yeah, capitalism, we're in the late stages of capitalism. Like, I feel like in business, like that memo is like on your desk every day. You're like, oh, my God, we're not going to survive. I remember being in Japan at the post office in 2009. Yeah. And there was a guy behind me who was American. So, of course, he started talking. And we're waiting in line, and he's he said he worked in finance, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm buying a place somewhere very remote because he felt like there was such a financial meltdown coming that yeah. it would definitely be World War 5000, <laughs> and, uh, et cetera. And he's like, yeah, there's not going to be money in a few months. Like, it's all going to collapse and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. At the end of the day, I like to remind myself that, like, the economy is people working. Like, it's people creating value or even like nfts right like at the end of the day it's just people trading sheep for the the weird thing is at the same time there's the the frog in warm water thing where things are normalized for our generation and then you're like wait a minute why does it cost that much to go to college or why do people go bankrupt when they're sick well you know if someone's doing too well that someone's you know they're they're stealing from someone else like that like that's what profit is but like so you, you should always be worried when things are like you know, even during the crypto craze, it's like someone is cheating something in the system. Like someone's Some, gonna lose. Someone is paying for it. Yeah, yeah. someone's paying for this, right? Like it could yeah. be a government, it could be, you know, country, it could be a group of poor people. Generally it's not rich people, by the way. <laughs> well that's 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 a, an assumption that the economy is a zero sum game. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think that that's always true. I, I like to think of, um, you know, if you go back to the origins of any economy, like if there is fair and free exchange of labor, it's that, that's basically what it is in relationship to the sun. Like there's a bunch of free free energy that comes from the planet. It's not free, I guess, in some ways, right? But like... Um, Nothing is as free as the Good Point podcast. That's right. Anyway... I digress a yeah. little bit. Should we get into the... We have a question well, this week. It's kind of related yeah, to this. But it, it is related. So the, the question is about routine from yeah. uh, Jesper Norbach. Should is I read that the, how you pronounce yeah, it? I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean the, the question basically <laughs> is about whether routine helps or not and what routines we have. Um, the, the, you know, there's different books about artists and their workflow and their habits and things like that. But... I wanted to talk about this economic crisis and NFT crisis and whatever uh, in relationship to, to artist routine. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you could start the day by reading the news or you could start the day by doing push-ups. Like. Or, yeah, checking the stock market. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but how do you start your day? Actually, like, why don't we start this? Because Jesper uh, has a bunch of questions, like, but, um, like, you know what have one of his first questions is like what routines have you tried or do you have a routine what does and doesn't work for you like do you do anything routinely i imagine you know, like you get up and you're extremely regimented like because you seem it seems like if the if the fork was in the wrong drawer you'd have like a panic attack or something um no but the, the routine is usually that i wake up and make breakfast and listen to a podcast and then Rainier, my programmer He's in the European time zone, so I usually have a call with him at 8 a.m. So I'll maybe go through emails before that and then try to go through the to-do list with him and, and look at prototypes. And then the rest of the day, I, I try to get all the stupid stuff out of the way and then try to sketch as much, much as possible. But that's a bit of a, that's what I want to do. It doesn't always work out that way, but... So is Rainier basically always working for you now? He's almost like a full-time employee? He's Yeah, he's almost full-time because of NFT. Before that, he was freelance. Oh, well. Yeah, I worked with yeah. him once. He's great. Um, yeah. Okay, so you, you get up, you have some breakfast, you do some review of some work, and then what did you say? You come up with new ideas, or what, when does that happen? Well, the, the sketching, basically, in the sketchbook, or the back and forth between the sketchbook and the computer, that's... As I try to do that as much as possible, but other things get in the way. Mm, but, like what? Like life, you mean? Yeah, like let's say um, I have a meeting or I have to look at a prototype or I have a call or all those kind of distractions. Mm-hmm. Like it, to me, the, the, the real creative part is playing with prototypes or sketching or coming up with ideas or testing ideas. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of stuff like budgeting, administrative stuff, uh, Yeah social stuff uh, yeah what do you find the right I, amount like, i mean like the right chunk i talked of about the good vibes of, of nft but it was also like a lot of meetings and i was really happy after three days just to be home and just mm-hmm. be in the zone mm-hmm. but i was yeah. like what is the zone like is that a chunk of three hours like i find no yeah i, I find that sketching more than 20 minutes is too much impossible really yeah interesting yeah it's very hard, yeah. Well, I think because I moved from sketching in paper to sketching on the computer, like I need like a two-hour block of time, basically until I have to go to the bathroom again. Um, and I will go from like an idea to a prototype, like you said, it, just to see if something's going to work. Like, it, yeah, you yeah. Know, like I don't, 
you know, you know, quite often I'll I'll take a bath to actually to come up with ideas. But until I try them, they end up most like nine out of ten of them are, don't even work or infeasible. They're stupid. No, yeah. But that's a part of the process is being patient. Um, mm-hmm. David Lynch wrote a lot about this going fishing for an idea and. The idea is if you go fishing and you put your fishing rod, you have to wait. You can't just get angry that it's not working. I know. So I don't, one thing that's changed about... So you, you do you work every day? like, Or is there a day you take off? No, but I, it's, it's strange for me because I never consider it work. It's more... If I look at today, like um, we went for lunch with a friend and then I come home and then... Maybe Christina wants to watch an episode of something. We were watching something. So there's like an hour between. So I just start sketching and mm-hmm. then uh, test something. Or she's like, I'm going to take a bath. And then I do half an hour of work. And then we watch a movie together. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just, um, I really, it's hard for me to say when I'm working, when I'm not working. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, no, I was just thinking, because like for me. And, and that's that's maybe to answer your question also why you don't have a studio outside of the house. But that yeah. it's just so embedded in life that it. It would be weird to say like, okay, I'm gonna go over to the studio and work. Oh yeah, we've. I mean, and a lot of artists seem. To, I mean, I don't know a lot of artists do that. We need a data point for this, but like, seemingly when I think of like, art like friends who like they seem dedicated, but then again, I don't know if this like equates. It's like they have a studio, they go to the studio. It's like a nine to five job almost. Then they come. Or they're home. like the, a factory leader. Yeah, and. I've never had that. Even when I was well, there's had a, a risk. There's a each method has pros and cons, mm-hmm. and I think if you create a structure where, um, let's say, like the classic painter, and you say, okay, every morning I do, people love it when you describe a routine. It always seems people admire discipline. So you say, like, I do 700 push-ups, then I drink seven bottles of seltzer water, and I don't go to the bathroom for three days, and people are like, wow, he's really dedicated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and so there's this thing, if you do a very strict routine and like, I always go to the studio, I always get the same bagel in the morning, whatever, maybe the work becomes boring. So maybe you should be more Yeah, you have to change adventurous it up every once in a while. And then go scuba diving and then go help homeless people and then go jump off a, sk- a skyscraper with a parachute, whatever, and maybe that will make the work more interesting. Or maybe you have to just do the... Re- I don't know. I, I, I get really... I feel this great cringe when I give advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're not giving advice. We're just talking about our own experience. Like for me, yeah. the difficulty is like I don't. I have to work, you know, four to five days of the week, and so just coming off a long weekend here, like usually a normal weekend, I would dedicate at least one whole day, and honestly, it's usually sun all of Sunday, and if sometimes it's part of Saturday afternoon, but I always give myself. Saturday morning off because like I've just had kind of a work week and I need to like transition from that like basket of of goods to the to the other one. Well, I think this is an important thing because I think most of our listeners cannot cannot afford to be full-time artists. So there is that tension. I remember also having side jobs and then often the more boring the job was, the better, because then your mind... I, I did things like house painting or cleaning or things like that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're not in conversation with people and it's kind of brain-dead uh, work, yeah. that's the best... That's a really great spot for ideas. I think I've mentioned almost, this before, though. Like, 
Yeah. For me, it's the opposite just because like I like to embed some of my work life in my in my artwork. Yeah. I, I try not yeah. to ignore it. But honestly, like you're right. A lot a lot of our listeners, you know, you might get home at six o'clock and you're like, where's the energy? And for a long time, actually, when it was work from home, uh, not work from home, like work in the office, it was way easier for me mm, to get home and make work. Yeah. So I would almost always work every night. And you night. had a deal with your previous job, like... My art practice is what I have the same keeps deal. this company interesting. Yeah. Okay. But and so there's this travel time, there's this yeah. R&D time for me. Basically what happened with remote work, though, is people stopped like knowing where you are and what's going on. So it's it's now I think anyone can kind of get away with squeezing a studio yeah, yeah, visit yeah. in the week. But like it doesn't change I, I, the fact yeah. that like if you wanted to get that flow time, like two or three hours, like in your working professional you're probably gonna have to take a day of your weekend. And that that is a very hard pill to swallow, though, from like a routine standpoint, like you have to have a partner who supports you can't like, if you had kids, I don't know, you'd have to lock yourself in a room and they'd be scratching their way in. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's tons of examples of successful artists with kids. So I know. know. How do they do it? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But the, um, the thing for me, what you mentioned of like, it's a lot of saying no, and I always thought I don't work that much, but then let's say we visit family and I really can't work for seven days, and then I'm like, oh, I'm really behind. Like, feel it immediately. And so, to this question of like, do I take time off? It's almost like when I go on vacation, it, it's I can't wait to get back to work. And uh, Yeah, I do get nervous. Yeah. So here's what I do because of like, because I have no other choice. I have to like start a project like six months ahead minimum because if I'm going to do all of the experimentation and exploration that you talked about, then like I have to have a few, you know, a few opportunities to fail or sketch, you know, bad ideas out. And then I have to like basically like chunk it out into like, you know, one whole day of a week. And I, so I only get like, if you were working, I'm basically working one hour to your eight hours a day. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's brutal. It's pretty. Yeah, so I have to be really, I have to be really careful and efficient. Or the other option is you sell your place in Toronto. You live in Calgary, and you don't need a job. Mm, I'll never get back into the Toronto market. But either <laughs> way, like the average person's going to have to like work. And so I, I was talking to a friend about this who is an artist. He works full time as well. He comes home and he's like, he does like seven to eight p.m. or to nine p.m. And he was talking about how this incrementalism that he gets like one hour a day to put towards his work is really tough um, because it is a routine, but he knows that he would like to go further. He just doesn't have the time to go further. And I think that's like, if I have a really good weekend, it's because Saturday and Sunday were super productive and I come out having completed a chunk because even like you, I'm sure like, you know, you, you can't just keep going forever. You need to take little breaks. Right. And so yeah. I can break on a project feeling like, okay, now I'm ready to like think about the next part. If I don't get that, I basically don't sleep and I'm like a mess. So I I have to do it. Like you said, like letting seven days slide by is so painful just to watch that calendar, like ratchet forward a week. Um, I don't know, but maybe we're just talking yeah. about it. Like for me, I have to have exhibition deadlines or I probably wouldn't get things done. What? But you, Christina you just always, always says that it, that I'm very, that I have a lot of routine, and I'm like that's bullshit. But it's probably true because she sees me from the. I'm not aware of it, but it's like, 
making tea a certain way or yeah. having lunch at the same place all the time or the, those kind of rituals and meeting with the same friends and uh, yeah yeah I think you do I think we probably both do um, yeah but I mean I think like you know if we continue to answer some of these questions like what do you like here here's well a, the, I, I think he's avoid? referring to a book how artists work and yeah. I read it and it was one of the things you noticed was before the 20th century, I think all artists were part of the upper class. There was no way you could be middle. There was no middle class. And oh, so you they all be had work, servants. Working at the slaughterhouse yeah. and making art. So, so it, it was like this story of, of writers like uh, Freud or Nietzsche or whatever. And they're like, well, my servant brings me my breakfast at, at seven. And then I start writing. And it's like, your servant? <laughs> but that's how it was. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so... The whole book is full of routine, like some people do push-ups in the morning, some people do like an hour of swimming in the lake, they live near a lake or whatever. And then there was David Foster Wallace, who's, you know, he killed himself, so I guess he wasn't too functional, but he wrote a lot. And then he talks about just frantic writing, not sleeping for four days, and then being depressed for a week, like the worst possible routine, but he was a great writer. So mm -hmm. I, I think, I think, Whenever you try to figure out how creativity works, it's so complex. Yeah, and there's yeah, so yeah. many different personality types, and there's the 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 Hunter Thompson crazy adventure type, and then there's the solid wit like sit down every day and methodical. I I don't know. It's for me though. Yeah. Like it's just like being excited to sit down. Is like I I have so much pent up energy to to get stuff done by the time I'm sitting down to do but it. Did you? Did you ever think of taking a sabbatical and being a full-time artist for a year, seeing what would come out of it? I'm yeah, like it's kind of funny, kind of funny that you were joking about like sell your house. Da da da. I have a spreadsheet open, almost continuously now, where I'm like tweaking the numbers <laughs> to try and figure out what it would take. Especially now that Kristen has a job, but it would be interesting, you know, because we talked about well, could you change your routine up, right? Like. And our listeners might be thinking about that too. Like, yes, you have a routine and maybe it's working for you. Maybe it's not. Um, and then you're like, well, what would it take to get to a different type of routine? Like one that would be more preferential. And then the, yeah. And there's also the subconscious where like I always said, I don't need a studio and that therefore the work is a certain way. Like I don't paint, but I work with manufacturers or code or things like that. Yeah. But then it could be an insecurity where, you know, I could get a studio and a regular staff and have meetings every morning and maybe the work would become better or maybe sub and so maybe subconsciously you're like oh I could open up that space take a year off take a risk or maybe you're thinking no actually the work will be better if I don't do that and yeah I mean um there's no like I think generally we I don't like to give advice neither do you in terms of like what's right or wrong but what I'm no. you know what both of us have been in pursuit of is like the the context and parameters by which we are just like happy at doing what we love right and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that like find that i said on the podcast last time i think like i love business and to a certain extent i do but i also find it excruciating um but you know a lot of people find making art excruciating too right so um and they still make good art to your point um about well yeah I, I saw an interview with david bowie and uh, they weren't asking about routine, but they were asking how, what's the most important thing for an artist? And he was talking about having a positive mindset. That's the hardest thing. 
I think everything flows from that. I think it flows from belief and, and conviction. But also, to me, the, the biggest routine, the biggest thing about continuous working is that if you're constantly making stuff, the mistakes matter less than if you only have one hour and, oh, this better be good. I have to do a stroke of genius yeah, in the I next agree. 20 minutes. Yeah. And so that's maybe the question of routine. It's, it's not about at what time you make tea and at what time you put your <laughs> slippers on, but it's about creating this open time and making an open time where you could just continuously make stuff and edit later. That's what and, I find amazing, though, about a weekend, you know, which, which is my simulation of your week, which is like yeah, when there's yeah. no limits on the day, I, I block the day out in the weirdest ways, like that I would never get a chance to do in the regular work week where I'm peppered with continuous meetings. But I'll block the, the day out, like you said, like I'll watch a TV show and then I go back to my sketches or whatever. Then I prototype something then I listen yeah. to a new song. Right. And I go for a walk. I come back and I, I don't even pay attention to the the time really during that that period and i feel like that's the opposite of routine it's like fluid time um yeah well that's maybe we're getting somewhere of like verbalizing it but that that's what i mean to the question like how much do i work i really don't know because then it's like 20 minutes of online shopping and looking at a youtube of a guitar solo yeah, and like then 20 minutes of sketching and yeah i get angry you know that pomodoro technique or whatever like what is it 20 oh, yeah. minutes on eight minutes off i find that like absolutely disgusting <laughs> like, but i guess for some people it's helpful i know yeah. i know but like personally i'm like the idea that my time like during the week i have 30 minute blocks of time for meetings and i've had to reduce them recently to 15 minutes so literally every 15 minutes i switch contexts into another meeting and then like I get to the end of the week, I'm like, have I pushed this major strategy forward? No, but you know, like, but everyone's happy. Like, mm. you know, and honestly, it's not good. Like I, I'm going into this week, I'm going to cancel like every meeting to try and get something done. But that like the work week for mo is probably like, you could probably run a company on like half as many people because the number of connections, the, like the necessary communication yeah. is so high. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you look at an artist, like I get lonely as an artist alone. So I always have to have like someone like it's curator or someone like you have Rainier to bounce things off of, even if it's the internet. Like I remember Facebook was huge for my practice because I could post, I like to post unfinished work. I don't, you do too sometimes I think. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. looking for some kind of like reaction or even if it's negative feedback, no feedback. Well, it, like, it's just the, it's one of those things I just get excited and I'm like, oh, I want to show this. I don't really look. If if one work gets more likes than the other, it doesn't no, mean no, that exactly. I feel different about it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, it's just like getting it out there. It was like what I said. Yeah. Like it's just like yeah. I'm at that mark, and it's like okay, here's the I don't know, almost like a public diary. But regardless, I know that it's like something that I have to do, and I can't control myself <laughs> sometimes i do and i hold back or i'll delete something i was like oh i probably shouldn't have shared that but um where am i going with this like in terms of routine i do find being an artist a more natural way to work than the, the way work maybe it's because of like victorian factories or something like corporate work is not efficient i would say no no but that that's maybe an analogy to uh being an artist or being an academic in a large institution, like being an independent writer or being someone in a 
larger structure and it, or, or like a lean startup and let, let's say you invent something with five people or ten people doing Instagram they yeah. were probably very efficient well, at the beginning of Instagram and then it gets usurped by right. Facebook and it's like 10,000 people working on yeah, it yeah there were 12 people when they sold to, to Facebook yeah but they were probably very efficient but the thing about that is, what has happened in corporate culture is you know it's funny because every CEO or I, like I work with is always like anti-process like to the point of being revolted by the idea of process and even the communication, like the stuff we're talking about. And they they romanticize the idea of like the artist craftsperson, like somehow outproducing. One person doing yeah, everything. Yeah, one person like somehow outperforming 300 or 1,000. Um, but with, what they, so they'll be anti-process, but what they fail to realize is like without process in a large system, it's total chaos and nothing, mm-hmm. even less gets yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that structure is actually just to force decisions to get made. Um, and but there, yeah. it, there is the, the the joy of the small operation. So let's say you're a small shop making furniture yeah. with three people, yeah. and that's probably a really if you have good coworkers, that's a really nice quality of life environment. Yeah. But the cost, the price that you have to ask for the furniture for that operation to be sustainable is so high compared to IKEA that well, the output's going to be lower for sure. Yeah. yeah, and so there's something of a bummer about like the economy of s- s- scale makes total sense, but it's just not a fun way to work. Like, yeah, working in IKEA factory is not as fun as like a little woodworking shop with three people. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, most people don't realize what you do in a corporation is you build systems that scale so that yeah. m- as yeah. you add people, it's not like you get like linear. Growth, you can get exponential growth. No, no, I, I, it's completely logical. But we're talking about the the quality of life. That yeah. the same thing, like why a home baked loaf of sourdough bread tastes better than a, a Wonder Bread from the supermarket. Yeah, but I, what you know, I think, although some people would argue they prefer the Wonder Bread, but yeah, I no, I, I, I get it, and I think that's why there are there are companies like Basecamp and Thirty Seven Signals is Basecamp and others that like believe in like slow software with a small team. I've even thought about starting an agency with a friend that would just be like slow, well-built software, like for like tiny groups of people. (laughs) But what's interesting about this analogy is that why do people still care about art when there's Netflix and there's uh, Google and there's, there's Instagram? Why do people still, and that it is, even if your job is corporate and like, let's say you're a CEO and you have a ton of money and your company is efficient and everything scales. And then you go to the artist studio and they're like using paper mache and they're like doing drugs and they're being dysfunctional and inefficient. And you're like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, there's this, this class of rich people that fetishize the inefficient, even though their work life is totally scalable and, and optimized, but then they, there's this romanticism of these dysfunctional people being creative in a very inefficient manner. I mean, generally, the people like that are most successful in business, like founders, if you think of like the founder CEO, they're usually they usually get compared to the artists because they are irrational. They do things that people tell them not to do. They break rules. Yeah, they 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 go by intuition. They go by intuition. They hate process. They want to structure their day however they please. Like they have weird routines. And maybe that's where it comes back to routine, where it's like, you know, you have people that are just like, I ate an egg for breakfast and nothing else, like Steve Jobs, like I only ate apples for two years or whatever. Um, And then we kind of romanticize that 
honestly, like I've, in my experience, I've, I've, a lot of those people have become my friends over the years. Um, and they're kind of, they're, they're both happy. The only but also, way you can be friends with the Jeremy is if you're a CEO. Well, like CEOs and artists, those are my friends. And by the way, you have a lot of CEO friends too. So like, but they are also deeply troubled. I don't think I do. Like, just like artists, I find that they're often troubled by something. Like they're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean troubled in like necessarily a negative way, but just in a way that they're compelled to do this stuff that doesn't... Looks painful from the outside is all I'm saying. Yeah. Like it looks painful. Um, and it is painful sometimes. Like making but, art is painful. Yeah. But back to routine, there is this thing, I think I saw an interview with Richard Branson and they were asking what advice you have for young entrepreneurs or whatever. And he said, work out. And <laughs> like I, exercise. It's good for the yeah, brain. And I definitely feel better if I've done half an hour at least of cardio of some form of a bicycle or a treadmill or running or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to break any Olympic record, but if I do that, I definitely just... And that's that thing David Bowie was talking about, like keeping a positive mindset. And that's to me, because you're doing such a strange thing as an artist, you're doing something nobody needs. It's a little bit like stand-up comedy. You're just going up on a stage and the audience is like, well, this better be funny. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a strange thing. And if you can somehow trick yourself into just doing it because nobody needs it. And part of that is, I think, I think sports... Um, at least for me, you that play, helps. But you don't play any sports, do you? Like, what do you no, no. For but a but some kind of exercise, like some kind of getting out of your head. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it. My favorite. Okay, let's talk about routine. My favorite routine is my mom is from Brazil, so we spent a lot of time there. And sometimes I would go for a month and just work from there. And my favorite routine was going to the beach in the morning, working three hours, having lunch working maybe two hours, then going to the beach again. And that's sort of on and off thing. But there was something about sketching, getting in your head and keeping sketching, forcing yourself. There's no idea. And then you jump in the water, you forget about everything, and then you go back refreshed. So mm-hmm. if there was any routine, that's the one I love. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, wa- ba- bathing or taking baths is probably the Yeah, way. maybe water is the, what we're talking I about. I lean on yeah. that a lot. And I do. Yeah, lean- you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, like if I need to like it's healing. clear yeah. my mind. And and I often compare to uh like bow and arrow that sketching and scribbling and trying to find the idea that's like pulling the bow, but you can't pull it too far and it'll snap. Mm-hmm. So at some point you have to let go and the letting go to me is then going for a walk or going for lunch with a friend or so there's that tension between focus and then yeah. just going swimming. You once like taught me an important lesson, which is you need to sit with your work before it's ready too. like, you know, put it up around the house or like, you know, I have a lot of artist friends who put their sketches up on the wall so they walk by them every day. Um, yeah, I do that more on the screen where I have different folders with thumbnails of the projects. And then that's maybe a routine in the morning where there was that question someone asked about how do you keep track of all these code projects? Yeah. So I, I believe in screenshots and then I'll look... It just makes it more comprehensible. And so it, it, I have a, there's like different tiers of projects where one folder is called later, one folder is called soon, things like that. And then it, it's like a close to the Lightroom where you star things and you say, okay, these images are more uh, 
urgent than these and then yeah it's it's a little bit like a pin board but more uh software based so mm -hmm. it's, it's quicker it's more fluid i use illustrator the same way but like i just if i have a project i just keep like multiple canvases of progress yeah, on the project yeah, yeah. open yeah um but do you ever like make a so you make a conscious effort to break my routine by like doing the jumping like jumping in the water or going for a yeah. walk breaking doing exercise yeah. um do you think there's like there's this weird question at the end here yes brass which is like do you see any differences between routines of experienced versus inexperienced artists and i think like neither of us really would be able to pinpoint who's experienced and inexperienced or maybe we would i don't i really don't feel any different than when i was 12 yeah that's what i was thinking but there is a threshold when you've exhibited and that you've sold work you know there's a demand that gives a sort of peace of mind so but it was so gradual that i can't say mm -hmm. oh that but there's definitely um well i can share something when i was inexperienced i often would be like it's like a week before the exhibition and i'm like it's cool it's cool i still have time <laughs> and i would like work on oh. the plane going to like a show yeah, 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 yeah. like i would do like I'll never do that again. Like I, I've had too many like things go wrong. Yeah, I, my workflow was always to make websites and publish them when they're done, so there's not a deadline. Mm. And then when it was exhibition time, there's like twenty websites to choose from, and you choose the four that fit the best in that context or the three. So that was different. But to the question of being experienced or inexperienced, there's a freedom about being completely new, and you have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a freedom when you're 15 and there's really, you're just goofing off making little movies with your friends and uh, you have nothing to lose. And then there's a freedom to, you've shown a bunch and uh, there's an infrastructure, there's an audience, etc. So I think each phase has its pros and cons. Yeah, I also think like as your craft develops, you're able to actually sit down and do, you know, use the tools. I do talk to artists all the time because I've been helping a lot of artists recently learn new tools and then they'll come to me with like i want to learn this tool and that tool and i'm like oh my god like the what comes first it's like a cart before the horse thing like it'll take you years to develop into a really proficient craftsperson at this tool yeah you're gonna but have to do a lot of small projects to get to that I level wanna, i want to ask you about your practice as a performance artist yeah sure because you're unique in the digital space that you had such a dedicated performance aspect. Not many of our friends were performing as often as you were. Yeah. Every week for a did, while. Did the performances get better the more often you did them? Or is there something more awkward if you haven't performed for two years that it's really oh, yeah, that's a great even question. more cringy? Thanks for reminding me. Like, it was a little bit like the pandemic kind of killed the live performance, by the way. Like, but um, like there was some online stuff, but it kind of sucked and everyone knows it. Um, and I was someone who did online performances and I still like, I still preferred the in-person ones, but here's what ultra cringe. Yeah. But here's the thing. Like I, I remember it so vividly that I would be nervous before a performance, except if I had performed recently. So, but it, I remember it being like, if I was performing every other week or every week or even once a month, I was like chill like no nerves nothing like i was just mm, almost automatic I got this yeah like yeah. i could just walk into any room and start performing like anything like i didn't need any time to prepare i didn't worry yeah, yeah, yeah. but if i let it slip like if there was like a two-month or three-month gap like a whole season's gap between performances 
I w- I was like terrified. I was rusty. I did a terrible job. Like I missed things, um, and my intuition was completely off. So I actually performance art for me anyway, the act of performing was one of like being in shape, like like doing sit ups every day. And if you didn't exercise the muscle, you lost it really quickly. Yeah, yeah. And but so, that's that's yeah. that seems to be anything you read about uh, routine. That's everybody says like working hard, working often and and remove fear and just keep, do as much as you can. Like, yeah, I mean, even presenting to an executive team or something even, like that. Even like, like Marcel Duchamp, <laughs> yeah. who, who, who was against repetition and he said, oh, all these painters, they get addicted to the process and they make work even though they have nothing to say. And he's like, I'll only make a work once every 20 years. But secretly he was doing all kinds of stuff and doing all kinds of work. I think he was constantly... He was just a thinking artist, so he wasn't sitting with a pencil, but he was constantly thinking, like doodling in his mind. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see any substitute for regularity and constant output. And and that's maybe why I put things on Twitter when I've done a sketch, because then I feel like, oh, that was a good day's work. I've got well, I, two I or had three like, directions. I, yeah, I had like a lot of routines when I performed live. Now that you think, now that I think about it, like I would before the show. I would meet. I would like sit down and meet everyone in the front rows of the audience. Like sit with them and talk to them, because I wanted to not be afraid of. I wanted to know who I was talking to, because there's not. I. It's not like I had that many cases, but there are cases where you can't read your audience's reaction, and it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other thing I would do is I would sit down and I would like bullet point write out like all the points of the script. Like I never had a. A really rigid script, but I had like things I like jokes I needed to hit, mm-hmm. and I would write them all out over and over and over again, like on my phone. So like yeah, as a checklist, yeah. and I do that right before I got on stage, and then but so the frequency really helped. Oh yeah, because then you know you're always like, well, I'm gonna forget my line, and it's honestly you don't want to remember your line as if it's like perfect, because then you sound like a robot. So, but if you remember that one idea leads to another, at least in my case, I found I was able to like make the jokes work and it felt fluid and like the technology kind of, cause there's so much that can go wrong. If you're performing with technology, you actually have to be able to adapt. Like if you don't, if you're not flexible, it's going to be so cringe, like and not in a good it, way. You love that book of, uh, what's the comedian in the white suit? Oh yeah. Martin. Steve Martin, born standing Martin. up. Incredible book. Yeah. One of my favorites. So yeah. that book is a lot about the discipline of, uh, constantly fine-tuning 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 but also then hitting that peak where it's just it becomes too much of a routine it's very natural yeah yeah i mean for him he was like finished with it right like and that's the idea of the sabbatical or like changing course if the routine can also be a death sentence yeah i think it's time you know personally i'd like to break my routine in the next i thought it was going to be this year i keep postponing it but um i think you're right like a friend of mine who teaches at ucla just took a sabbatical and I'm so jealous, like, <laughs> like mm. the idea, Kristen's going to get to take one, she's going to become a university professor, like, I think it's built into that profession for a reason, right? Like, I don't know, you know, I could have taken one while I was at FreshBooks, it was like something that some people did. For some reason, I never did take it. Um, like, if you're loyal, like, if you were loyal to the company or whatever, they reward you yeah. at sabbatical. Um, but well, it's, yeah. I think you have an irrational 
hoarding tendency. That's true. How do you know? How did you know that? Kristen's been and, like cleaning out our house in preparation for moving. No, like, I, I don't mean in the in the literal sense, but like you want so much financial safety, even though you don't have kids and you're yeah. fine. Like you could totally afford to have a sabbatical, but you just deep down, you don't think you're worth it. So that's the issue. Mm. Maybe after all these years, you you think you know me, but you really don't. Or maybe you know okay. me better than I know myself. I, I can't, I don't know. You could, you could be but right. But the, the, the example of routine, like I was very focused on websites for many years. And every year I kept thinking, this is ridiculous. I should do something else. But I was like, I'll try one more year to do it. And, and then I really had given up on websites in 2019 and start publishing them. And then NFT happened and kind of re-energized it. But I was really, I shifted into physical yeah, objects. And I was like much more interested powder in Powder-coated metal and... Yeah, rock, yeah, all like kinds of stuff. Textiles? Textiles and lenticulars. And I still like doing that. But then right now the... NFT thing is such a jolt. It's just a lot of fun. You've diversified. Like you, it, yeah. you're doing both. I think, right? And that's yeah. Cool. But the but the routine thing. Like I remember with the physical works, I was like, oh, I shouldn't do this because it's so much of a better story. If I say, oh, I never touched any. Well, the part we project. haven't talked about is like doing the same type of work, honestly, like yeah. over and over again. That does the work doesn't. It eventually reaches like kind of a maximum, in my opinion. Well, it, like, it depends on the, yeah. Depends on the artist, sure, but like... Well, there's there's an artist like Agnes Martin, who's yeah, from Canada. I know, yeah. And I saw her retrospective her at, at the Guggenheim, and it, it really got better and better through the years. It was, and not much changed, but it just, in my opinion... Well, I wonder really, if she threw out some things where she experimented, though, off to the side. She threw out 10 years of work. Did she? She was kind of painting in an abstract expressionist manner and she didn't think it was good enough and I love that she, so she did yeah. she tried breaking the routine yeah hmm. and then she she was in New York for a long time but then I think she had a successful show and had some savings and then she just started driving and was out of touch with everyone for two years and then settled in New Mexico so she really changed everything hmm. interesting yeah but but the that's the you know that uh, that term "jumping the shark," which comes from yeah. the Happy Days sitcom. Yeah. So the the idea is you do a sitcom, so you have to write all the time, and at some point it gets still, and there's you've tried every storyline, and there's a moment where the Fonz is in a speedboat on on water skis, and he has to jump over a shark, and that's when the show supposedly stopped being funny. Um, but how do you know when you've hit the peak? If you stop before the peak, you don't know if you've hit the peak yet. Yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of a quantum theory thing where it's like, honestly, yeah. we've probably, I think of everything like a sine wave, like there, you're, when you're, there's peaks and troughs, and maybe this is like a good analogy back to our stock market thing and the crypto thing, like, you know, things come back around and like, I come back to old ideas all the time. Like there's like, we're talking about routine on a weekly basis, but there's also like kind of super cycles like these. Yeah, five okay. or ten year cycles that go up and down, up and down. Like I'll probably get back into performance again at some point. Um, and I'm like, right now I'm doing a lot more augmented reality. Like I kind of stopped doing that, similar to you stopping to do doing websites. And then the two, I started learning some new tools. The tools changed. Like the technology made some new things possible. And, was, and then it was fun again. Like I was kind of bored of it. Um, yeah. And then it's. Well, yeah. I always say fun is important. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, anyway, yeah. that's like the most important thing. But um, I think that that's something else to consider in terms of routine. Like, maybe not now is like, you know, pressing pause on something doesn't mean it's over. 
you can yeah. still come back to it again, uh, revisit it. I thought also like by the time augmented reality was like, you know, on Snapchat and Instagram, like everyone was doing it. No one would be interested in what I had to say about it. Right. Cause there's like so many other voices, you know, like, but what I found recently is like, um, at least in terms of like the commissions that I'm getting and stuff, everyone wants like an, it's like augmented reality is something that, um, hot shit. It's a thing that I can I can still speak yeah. to uh, quite yeah. quite quite proficiently. Anyway, I'm just saying because um, yeah, I always want to refer to Jeff Koons because everybody hates him, but I love his work. But um, he talks a lot about the removal of anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing that the artist has to go through, and that uh, acceptance of your background, acceptance of who you are. And so for him, that was kitsch, like. His dad owned an interior design shop full of kitsch items, and he says, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be ashamed of what I come from. So I grew up with things that the art world considers kitsch, but I want to share that voice and say that it's okay to have that taste. And uh, that's, I feel like a lot of it is like once you've, you're not ashamed of what you're doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a very difficult thing. Yeah, no, shame is like a, it's, I would say shame is the thing I think about most and it's one of the most powerful emotions to dissuade you from trying new things right exactly yeah that's what he's talking about like mm-hmm. the removal of that and then you're free as free as you can be but most often we shame ourselves to your point about me earlier damn you <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway um, anyway it's a good question you know we have yeah. talked about this but I don't think we've it's, we always find but something then, new. It, it, back to the positive mindset thing, I, I think there is a that Steve Jobs thing of the bending reality. What's the word they use? The, the, oh, yeah, reality distortion field. Reality distortion field. Like, there's that thing when you're 15 and you're like, I'm going to be Picasso and Rembrandt combined and blah, blah, blah. And there's that weird, irrational thing. I'm going to make it even though statistically it's never going to happen. All that stuff. Um, and then back to the market thing like oh nfts are dead the market is down everything's gonna be terrible blah 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 and it just that applies to the average it doesn't apply to whoever is in denial like if you pretend that the world is great then uh, it's better for you i suppose if you don't have like if risk if you're if risk is not an issue all you know like if you are able to survive regardless like i don't want to downplay that certain people really do suffer in any recession, though, it's not like 100% of the no, people. No, I know. But I, I'm saying two people in the same situation, yeah. and one is watching the news all day and saying, oh, yeah. oh everything's going to be terrible. And the other person is like, well, I don't know, but I'll just try this thing. Yeah, write it out, see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's the example you always bring of starting companies during a recession. Well, honestly, like if, if I was going to, that's true. So like they always say starting a company in a recession is the best test. Well, that's what I mean with the reality distortion field. Everyone is like, oh my God, it's so bad. It's never going to get better. And someone is like, oh, I have this idea. Let's try it. Yeah. It's actually probably the best time. Um, yeah. The other thing, and so of course, yeah. if, if you're like feeding 700 children and you're being beaten to death, uh, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. Also, usually once we hit recession, they'll bring interest rates down, and that's good for like borrowing to start a business. But um, I never understood that borrowing thing. You got to borrow. Like, I, I, why would you I use mean, your own money to make money? It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I, I've always been, there, that maybe that's how I grew up in the Netherlands. I was very afraid of 
owing anyone anything yeah but if you incorporate you're not liable for that amount the company goes bankrupt not you i know but as an artist it it doesn't work that way i think it's better to like make a small work sell one then Mm -hmm. invest that reinvest it back i I can't imagine being an artist being like going to the bank yeah i need half a million because i want to do some doodles (laughs) well you don't even have to go to the bank anymore i work for a company where you just have to hook up your like sales software oh you're selling me something yeah 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 but i will say like I, what, like you said, like, you know, why do something, you know, like start a business in a recession, like moving to Calgary for me, I was strangely excited about it. And I think it's an opportunity, like you said, to just like change all of the variables yeah. and see yeah, 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 what yeah, happens. Yeah. Cause there's Reset. this saying that if you do the same thing why, over and over again, you shouldn't expect a different result, right? Like that's the kind of, there's another version of that. But then there's this weird thing where the art world, Back to the thing of people uh, appreciating eccentricity. Like, oh, this this person made the same drawing sure. three times a day for seven hundred years. That's amazing. Yeah, good good for them. But either way, like there <laughs> there's something that says like every ten years that you're actually supposed to make title that. For the good for them. <laughs> good for them. <laughs> yeah. I I just think I, regardless, I think like I was reading something like every ten years you you actually kind of psychologically have to break out of a routine in order to really kind of know what's up. Don't um, all your cells regenerate every seven years or something? Yeah, I'm sure like there's some kind of like uh, golden ratio that we're missing yeah. here, like some mathematical equation. Well, the, in, in the farm days, was, or the biblical description, of the, like the seven lean years and the seven uh, uh, prosperous years. Oh, really? Because that's the super cycle for recessions, I think. It's like... Exactly, yeah. But I think that's already in the Bible. And uh, like, <laughs> With with farming, no. you kind of know, like, oh, you have to prepare for the downturn. We have enough of the Bible in America right now. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. Um, well, maybe this is a good place to stop. And we have like a we have a, a, a field, a field recording. recording, which is really exciting. Speaking of routine, a mutual friend Nick Bontrager from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. My favorite, um, my favorite routine was the field recordings at the end of every episode. So what's yeah. This is like um, for the true listeners who make it all the way. So to Nick's the end. got like uh, we had two to choose from, but we chose this mud bubbling in Haverir, Hav- yeah. a geothermal in, in site in Iceland. In Iceland, yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you, Nick, for the recording. Listen to and this. Thank you. For, he hosted both of us. I know. Yeah, down in yeah. in Texas, fantastic. Uh, had a fantastic time in Fort Worth. Fort Worth, right? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I had deep fried pickles. That was where I first had them. And uh, they're done mm. well there. Yeah, I had delicious brisket and some kind of obscene slab of bacon with it. Oh, wow. And so maybe this is like um, a good segue into the mud bubbling. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye.